With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons. It's an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casilla. And with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Syracuse out of four-star commit week. Happy uh, college football players may actually uh, do something about long-standing inequity week. Oh. Happy end of the Mets season week. Happy the Mets season will hopefully be ended by the the Marlins in a very different way than it usually is. Week. <laughs> <laughs> the Marlins always come through, and and for once we're happy to see it. Well, they have scored five runs for Jacob DeGrom tonight, and that's probably the most they've scored for him in years. years. Uh, so they might actually win their first game in what feels like uh, – I mean, the season's only been going for like two weeks. It feels like – you know, a year ago that we won against the Red Sox. So, um, yay, 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 Mets just doing, it's a very, it's very much been a condensed Mets season. We've already had like uh, a player just disappear um, and get thrown under the bus for something he probably told the team about the night before um, getting blackballed by the uh, horribly sycophantic general manager. Um, Yeah. Just, just all good Mets stuff. Yeah. I I, I think to, to wrap this up, what we need to do is, like the season will probably get canceled like by Friday, Saturday. So like the Mets will go on like a four game winning streak in the in the days leading up to that. Yeah, they're gonna finish like half a game out of first place in the NL East somehow, and then you know at like whatever that would be like seven and eight or something, and and the season will be called and and uh, you know that'll be a really bad side for college football, um, and it'll be just really ungratifying all around. I would concur. <laughs> that has been your Mets talk for the week. <laughs> But moving on to Syracuse things, uh, good news on Sunday. Uh, Deuce Chestnut, a four-star cornerback from New Jersey, uh, committed to Syracuse uh, with a, the most wonderfully absurd um, music video slash commitment video I've I've seen in a while. Um, I, I, I welcome it. I want every single commitment to look like that, um, whether they pick us or not, but in particular if they pick us. Uh, and, and I think on the football side, I'm just excited to bring – you know, to not just, you know, go to New Jersey and, and get a, a blue chip recruit, but to go to New Jersey, get a blue chip recruit um, and have him be, you know, the, the top player in the class and, and someone who we, we, we did beat out a decent number of like quality schools for, um, you know, Miami, I mean, Louisville, Ole Miss was on the list at one point, Michigan State. Both uh, Michigan we, schools offered. Yeah, we, we won't mention Rutgers because that's not a quality school under the guidelines we're using here. But yeah, Dan, what's uh, what's kind of your initial take on on, on the commitment, on, on him in general, on how this affects the class? Um, it's it's good. I mean, I think one of the nice things is it seems like we're we're starting to actually make a name uh, for ourselves, at least within the defensive back community. Like he talked about talking to Sisto and Trill Williams, who um, were both not as big. I mean, Trill was like a borderline four star guy. Um, Sisto was obviously just underrated, but like, you know, it was a name when we got him. So it seems like we're building a reputation for a place where guys can come in, play early if they are able to play early in terms of talent. Um, and they're going to have an opportunity to make plays like our defensive backs, um, for better or worse, are put in positions where they are able to impact a game in a big way. 
Um, the fact that he's a Jersey kid, I think, is good. Uh, we had kind of struggled um, with Jersey guys in this class, but he's, you know, one of the best players in the state, number six in the 24-7 uh, composite. Um, and I think, like, Rivals is higher on him than, like, even 24-7 is. So there's actually a chance he gets a nice bump up. Um, I think they have him as, like, a borderline, like, top 10 corner in the country. Yeah, um, he's on Rivals. He's, the, he's, like, 137th overall, like, as a prospect. And, and, and that's really what's fueled him to be a four-star even in the composite. Yeah, I think twenty four seven has 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 him as a three um, in their own rankings. But I mean, there's a chance you know if something happens that allows him to jump up in the rankings here, which who knows? There aren't going to be the obvious like the camps and stuff, um, and who knows with the season in the state of New Jersey this fall. But in any case, like he's a really quality player. He's going to be like I like going to be on the fringes of being like our best recruit in something like a decade. Um, I. And so that's it's just a great sign. Like it's a it's a state that we want to hit hard. Um, it's a good sign for like the trajectory of like guys are seeing what other players can accomplish at Syracuse, and that's always good. That's what you want. So uh, yeah, just really big, um, nice way to to just stack on this class. And I know like the rankings um, just are what they are. I think the fact that we are uh, still like kind of hovering in the low fifties um, now, a lot of schools are starting to like pack on players. So I actually think we're in a decent position because we only have 16 commits. There's still a good amount of room to add to this class. Um, so if you're really concerned about those, I think there is room to grow here and we're still in on some, some pretty big recruits and there are some potentially big recruiting wins uh, over the next few weeks. So hopefully we just get at least a few of those guys. Yeah. I mean, that'd be awesome. And like you said, and we've talked about it on the show before, like, Recruiting rankings this year are going to be pretty, like, even more of a crapshoot than normal. I, I think for the most part, you know, we're, we're mostly in agreement that, like, the top 30 or so, like, are a pretty good measure of, of where your program is, even the top 35. And I think past that, um, in terms of class rankings, like, it really is, you know, fractions of a point. It's you happen to have a bigger class one year or one guy, you know, happen to boost your average a bit. Like, realistically, if you finish somewhere, I think, in, like, the 35 to 50 range, you're doing something right. Um, after that, I think like the 50 to 60 range, which is where we have been, I think you've done some things right, but not all of them. <laughs> I, I think, you know, what you brought up about, about Trill and Cisco, uh, really, really resonated, uh, with Deuce Chestnut. And I think it's something that like SU is now leaning into. I know uh, a lot of people probably saw on, um, on Twitter, you know, the Q's football account, the official, um, SU Twitter feed for football had, um, like a who's next video, uh, that was really well made. And I just felt like really encapsulated like the energy that they wanted to kind of close this class with over the next few months. Um, and of course, like, you know, it capped off with, uh, with, with not just trills, uh, strip six, but also, uh, you know, the, the Instagram, uh, reaction to it and, and, you know, how many likes and comments and everything it racked up and, and that sort of thing. So like, se- seems, seems like weird, like meaningless detail in the margins, but realistically, like that's the type of stuff that, that absolutely, um, attracts the attention of recruits and, and, and like you said puts puts players in a in a position to make big plays and, and hopefully that doesn't go away uh, with the transition to three through five I don't think it's going to but but I know based on at least the history of the three three five and the three three five in particular in, in the coaching tree that Tony White's from um, it's not the same dynamic playmaking um, role or the dynamic playmaking scheme. Uh, but it still, you know, gets a lot of guys drafted, which I think is going to could speak just as many volumes. Yeah, and that's like ultimate. That's like the best thing you can get. And honestly, you know, with with Sisto being a potential first round pick, like that uh, only serves to help. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. And also, um, 
just based on the video that that uh, that Deuce put out, like maybe he should just handle our recruiting videos for a while. I really enjoyed the uh, <laughs> really distinctive like Adult Swim quality to it. Um, two parter, the, the the two parter for the fact that it was a two parter, even though they dropped at the same exact time and they were like a minute and a half each, so it was really unnecessary. Um, and also just like the horrendous graphics in the start with the hats and okay. then the dance, the dancing in the field. It was just it was so good. The whole thing was incredible. Um, really, really loved it. Uh, want more of it. Um, if we want to brand ourselves like the super weirdo stool in that way, I'd be supportive. <laughs> I, I really felt like he was headed to SU the second I saw like the wacky graphics. <laughs> it's like match made in heaven. Let's go. Like the, never before I, have I seen a recruiting video that wanted me to put like the the uh, graphic design is my passion, like frog graphic uh, meme that goes around every so often. <laughs> it was so i was so happy when i saw it and i like i knew he had committed to us uh by the time i saw it unfortunately because it would have even made it better um i had already gotten like spoiled from uh someone on twitter but um yeah just a really nice bit of news that it seemed like it kind of happened quickly in terms of like him deciding he was going to announce i think it was just a couple days ahead that he said he was going to commit on sunday and then there were some rumblings that it could be good news for syracuse so all around no complaints on on the on the 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 deuce chestnut also just a great name um just solid recruit name yeah really good recruit name um he uh i know you kind of hinted about this earlier like there's a couple other guys that this could potentially be a precursor for i feel like if i mean not that i i always want a four-star cornerback but let's say like if in another reality deuce commits two months ago i think you see maybe su in a different spot with some jersey recruits uh obviously like george rooks doesn't really need any much of a stronger sell I, I don't think from SU, uh, he, he's, he's a legacy defensive tackle um, and, and a four-star guy who, who SU is definitely uh, still in on right now, but we have to battle off, you know, schools like Michigan and Penn State. Um, Enrique Cruz is, is a four-star um, offensive lineman who's gaining a lot of steam lately and who's been offered by Utah, um, I believe, like both the Arizona schools, uh, a bunch of the SEC schools now. And it seems like somebody who we might have been in on a little on the earlier end uh, now it seems like everybody's kind of on board. Uh, so he, he's another one to watch out for. If we could even get one of those guys, um, we, you know, have like two solid four-star um, commits in this class, and that could potentially get us, you know, into that top 45-ish conversation, depending on who else we get. So I, I think this is really good. This is a really good start uh, from a momentum standpoint. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see where we net out from here. Yeah, I mean, if, if we were to get to, I think, Again, the star rankings are what they are, but I think that would be the first time we've had two four stars in a class. I, I can't even remember <laughs> if we've had if we've had that since I started at SU. So um, I think maybe G Rob had it once or twice. I know he weirdly recruited better than like anyone since him, uh, yeah. at least per the rankings. Um, probably not. <laughs> and and, and per the per the NFL outputs too, for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of a mixed bad because like the Marone rankings weren't always that great, but I think he got a lot more out of his guys. Yeah, than later G-Rob on, did out of his. Obviously, because yeah. you couldn't get less out of players than G Rob did. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think um, he was, he did have like the recruiting. If, if he could have put everything together, I think we would have uh, really seen a, a major difference. But, but in, as, terms, as far as recruiting goes on paper, he was probably the best guy we've had in a while, which is not saying a lot. It's uh, kind of, uh, it's kind of instructive in terms of how the last couple decades have gone. Um, but yeah, so it would be, it would be re- very, really good to break through. A and because Roots is a is a legacy, and you want to kind of keep those kids home. We've had 
you know, our struggles locking down like the really big name guys with connections to SU, whether it's through family or being New York State kid. And, uh, you know, obviously if he goes elsewhere, you, you, you know, it's his decision. But um, it would make a nice statement to get another one of those tennis players in the fold and, and to get the numbers to where like, all right, now there's some real progression here and maybe we can kind of string a couple of these together and then we're, we're in we're in business. Um, Especially considering, because uh, I think the ACC schedule came out after we recorded last week uh, by like a day. Um, uh, the on the on field results this fall <laughs> might be lacking, um, given what the ACC did for us. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure you're right there. Uh, I think they came. I think we recorded Monday and they came out Tuesday. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not great. So uh, for for those who somehow missed this. In, uh, in in recent um, like almost week now, you can you can look at the schedule if you can if you're not blinded by it, um, <laughs> and, and the, the the graphic design achievement that this is uh, <laughs> home I, against. You know, go for it. The 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 schedule is one thing. It's the the like built for tough graphic that they rolled out for like COVID protocols was just like a masterpiece in online graphic design choices. <laughs> where there were like seven different fonts on one graphic. Like, what are we doing? Come on. You're talking about protocols for a virus. Like, <laughs> it was just ridiculous. But the the schedule, yeah, just rough, really, really rough. Really didn't need to do that to us. Yeah, so, uh, and, you know, I, I kind of hit on this um, in an article the day after. That, like, SU went from, you know, having a questionable rebuilding season that they could, like, squeak into a bowl uh, by way of smart scheduling now, instead of that, like where if four and eighteen goes six and six because we did what we should have done with non-conference slate, instead uh, we end up with a team that should go four and eight, potentially do even worse from a win percentage standpoint um, in, in this ten-game schedule. Because I assume that the eleventh game is getting canceled uh, at some point very soon. Uh, Syracuse hosts BC, uh, which ends up bringing the Eagles back to uh, to Syracuse for a second straight year, uh, Duke, a year after we went down to Durham, um, we weren't due to face Duke again for another five or six years. Uh, Georgia tech comes to the dome as they were supposed to. NC state comes to the dome as they were supposed to. And wake forest is forced to come back to the dome. Um, after last year's, uh, you know, strip six, uh, debacle for them. Um, SU is away against Clemson as they were supposed to be. Uh, we had to go to Louisville, uh, for the second straight year. We head down to North Carolina uh, a few years ahead of schedule. Um, this is not the year we wanted to play them at all. Uh, Notre Dame, uh, we are on the road at Notre Dame, a, an ACC conference member uh, just for this year, at least for now. Um, so we're on the road against them and then also on the road against Pitt. Uh, and that is where we home against Pitt. We were home against Pitt last year. So that one stays uh, unchanged. Yeah, we are very possibly facing the four best teams in the ACC on the road this year. Yeah, which is dope. <laughs> like it's and, and and like I don't know. You can make the argument in either way. Like our home schedule is actually pretty reasonable. Duke um, has a little bit of rebuilding to do. I know they have Chase Bryce, our, our good friend from Clemson, playing quarterback Oof. there. Georgia Tech, but they might not be that good. Georgia Tech is still very much kind of rebuilding from the triple option. I think they'll be better this year. Um, and they were kind of frisky. They weren't good at all, but they were like, you could kind of see what was going on there. Um, definitely like a year zero for them. So they'll be better. I still think that's a very winnable game. NC State could be kind of down to the studs. Um, again, Wake Forest is winnable. BC is winnable. So like we could win all five of those ACC games at home. 
Um, history tells us that we will not win all five of those ACC games at home. Um, and then even if you toss in Liberty in all likelihood, uh, um, if they have any players by the fall, um, if they don't all have COVID by that point or haven't all quit in protest, um, it'll probably be Liberty uh, based on what John Wildhack has said in terms of like our, you know, having to honor our contract with them for one reason or another. Um, the problem is like winning any of these away games is going to be tough. Like maybe we sneak out Pitt if they don't have a great year. Um, and you could argue like, Hey, you don't need to play Clemson on the road when they have their fans there. It's like, I don't know, but that's going to be the biggest difference. <laughs> Like Clemson's going to be really <laughs> the crowd's good. Your big, yeah, the crowd's your and, biggest concern. <laughs> and we've played Clemson on the road tough at least two or three times. Um, I just think Clemson's going to be really good and outmatch us almost every year. Um, it's just the quality of team is going to be kind of out, you know, overpowering here. North Carolina, this is a bad year to catch them, like you said. Um, they're looking like they're going to really have something rolling here because Matt Brown found the fountain of youth. Um Again, another one of those tires that looked really questionable and has turned out a lot better than we thought. Um, unlike uh, the guy who we praised last week, Nick Rolovich. Hi, Nick Rolovich. Thank you for making us look stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, so really daunting. Um, hopefully, and like, just if this is the 10 games we have, even if we, or, you know, 11 of Liberty, like, it's going to be really tough to, to take a lot away from this at all, unless, unless it's like a complete, cal- uh, you know, calamity or if we're like surprisingly good, but like if we're anywhere in the range of 500, I'm going to have a hard time making any like huge judgments off of it. Yeah, I'd agree. I think three and seven is kind of where you maybe start having some questions. I don't think barring like, Oh, and 10, I don't really think, I don't really think this schedule allows for any like rash moves necessarily. Um, it's going to be very hard for Syracuse to make a rash move, no matter well, what. Anyone, just, yeah, no, like, yeah, anyone really to make a rash move. But like the extension and everything else for for Dino, um, like would preclude anything. I don't think SU should make a move like that anyway. Um, even if God forbid, we did see an O and ten campaign. That said, like the, the the schedule just ended up really screwing us. At, at, you know, after um, after a situation where we we did schedule ourselves into a good spot. Now we end up in a worse one. I, I don't think that that Liberty game is happening. I, I don't really think, again, I don't think any non-conference games happening after the SEC announced that they uh, they would only have the 10 conference games. So I think what we're going to be looking at here is like anything four and six or above, I think is a success. I think three and seven, you're disappointed. I think two and eight, you're pretty annoyed. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you kind of have to deal with things as they are. I mean, SU, SU isn't the only school that ended up with a pretty rough go uh, here. I think BC did too. Pitt really did as well. I think Florida State, if I remember correctly, did a tough one. Yeah, like, it's just add, throwing Notre Dame in the mix while, you know, they and, and that's another thing we should have trust from last week. We did not, I, I don't think either of us thought that we were going to get the NBC uh, buy-in for the no. ACC. To John Swafford's credit, like, he N- got Ninja, it. Ninja Swof added again. Yeah, good good work from him. Like that was like the one major hangup I had with with kind of bailing Notre Dame out. Um, was I did not expect us to get out of the NBC uh, money, and we did. So good for John Swafford on that move. Um, that makes me feel a lot better about it. And like, it's hard to turn down the chance to have Notre Dame on your schedule uh, for TV reasons, um, even if it you know not for the the nice draw it would be. Uh, you know, had we been able to bring them into the dome earlier or something. Um, so, you know, well, you deal with it. Um, looking at 2021, though, like, 
I think the, one of the reasons why you try not to worry too much about 2020, given all the circumstances, next year at Ohio, for some reason, I always forget that we're going to Athens. Um, first Rutgers versus Albany versus Liberty. Um, assuming Liberty still exists. Um, and then like a pretty standard ACC campaign, uh, Vatek is our crossover. Um, yeah, I think like then you have, you, you just like look at 2021 and say like you could win all four of those non-conference and then you're back kind of in like where you hope to be so don't don't be too rash about what 2020 is yeah i mean for for as much as 2020 like for, for those of you that want us to schedule tougher well like enjoy <laughs> yeah this is what that'll look like so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, i yeah, do wonder flavor of that i do wonder and and i think it's gonna be hard to even like let's say football happens this year and it somehow goes off without like a major hitch like it's more nba than mlb which in all circumstances, I don't know how that would be the case, but we'll, we'll find out. Um, I think the ratings would be very, very good. Um, and I do wonder if that will kind of push um, conferences to a, you could talk about the whole breakoff from the NCAA thing. I think there are merits to that and not. Um, but I do wonder if it would maybe push the ACC to be more, uh, to, to maybe adopt a nine or 10 game schedule, um, and make like the the larger ACC schedule more of a permanent thing. Um, I, I do wonder what the results of that are going to be from this year because it it is kind of like a a test run on something that's been discussed that we and I think both of us are in agreement that no divisions is a very good move. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that's a, an interesting potential uh, result of this. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the ten games is always going to be tough in a twelve game season. I think that realistically you can't make this season any longer um, on a regular basis, especially like, cause you would figure a longer season and, and things more centralized on the power conferences playing in conference more would probably mean a, an expanded playoff. I don't necessarily think that anyone can go past nine. Uh, I think that for the sec and ACC, this is kind of a nice way to, to get your feet wet a little bit on, on that idea. I think ACC just does get overcomplicated by the, by the Notre Dame arrangement and the way around it. And, and I don't think Notre Dame's going to join here just because of one season or just because of COVID or whatever. But I, I do think that like if Notre Dame joins and you have no divisions, suddenly a nine game schedule looks a lot more reasonable uh, because there's a bit more of a rotation. This is where you can lock in, you know, three opponents every year and, and, and then rotate everybody else. You can do pods. You can do any number of other things. SEC at least has a little more flexibility uh, with regard to that because they don't have a Notre Dame contract. The only things they really have to worry about are those uh, those four, you know, ACC SEC games. And now it's just a question of whether those four teams on both sides, you know, want to test themselves a little bit more. I, I think for me, like it's, I think it's feasible to to bump that up. But I think if you do that, um, th- this season's going to tell you a lot. Like if if you end up with a lot of teams at five and five in, in the SEC and ACC's case, I wouldn't doubt it if that skews them away from, from expanding the conference schedule. Uh, if, if only because that really does put their, uh, the bowl contracts in peril, uh, puts coaches contracts uh, and, and, and safety nets in peril. I think there's a lot, there's a lot more to consider. I, I, I think that if the season goes off without a hitch, which I agree is probably not going to happen these results are going to be looked at to some extent uh, both on the field and then, you know, off the field in terms of uh, in, in terms of ratings and in terms of, you know, ad dollars flowing in uh, the ACC network in particular after like a hot and cold year, 
this past season in part because of the quality of play. Um, I, I think there, there's a real chance for them to be able to, to cash in here too. Yeah, it's it's just very interesting how things work out because it, it could just kind of be a trial balloon that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten um, in something as uh, small C conservative as, as college football in terms of how they run things. So um, whether or not I think the changes are, the changes are end up being good. I do think it's interesting that we kind of get to see what they would look like in an active situation. Yep. I completely agree. Uh, speaking of things in an active situation, uh, before we get to uh, halftime, we're going to talk quick about what's going on at Washington state. Uh, what's going on in the PAC 12, obviously over the weekend, you had uh, Pac-12 players for football uh, with the hashtag uh, we are united say that they wanted protections for football players, for Olympic sports, for walk-ons, um, and make sure that, that that if they were going to see the field this year, that the proper precautions were going to be in place. Uh, and and you know what? Great thing for for player empowerment. Great thing for you know while while they don't have a union and they're not currently paid. Uh, great idea for players across campuses uh, to be able to support one another. Uh, it's, I think if from media folks and, and, and other people like you and me who, who would naturally be in favor of things, something like this, like no, no surprise that there, that there's a very positive reaction. Um, on the other side though, um, you know, you have some columnists and just people in general thinking this could absolutely destroy a conference. You have the, the issue too of, you know, the, the coaches backlash. I, I know there's been, uh, several alleged dismissals uh, from Washington State by by new coach Nick Rolovich over uh, players being involved in We Are United. It seems that, you know, again, like a- allegedly being the couching everywhere here, um, that, you know, players said that they wanted to sit out due to health concerns, which like Rolovich was fine with. But then as soon as they, they presented themselves to be uh, part of We Are United in any way, then uh, suddenly they were dismissed from the team. I know this is, you know, like he wouldn't be the first anti-union coach. Uh, we all remember Pat Fitzgerald's various rants and ravings at Northwestern against unions a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm very disappointed in, in, in Rolovich's reaction. I'm very disappointed um, in any coach that's going to do something like that um, and kind of, you know, knock back players' empowerment. I don't think it's really the best idea and best look for any coach right now. Um, especially given what's going on in, in the country overall, but but in college athletics as well um, in these past few months. Yeah, I, I thought the point that uh, Bobani Jones made on Twitter um, pretty much right after the uh, first story uh, came out about players being kicked off the team, um, allegedly, uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but that's it sounds like that's what happened based on what the parents were told via phone calls with the coach. Um Washington State, uh, not unlike Syracuse or a number of other kind of like outposts in college football, is not easy to recruit to. So putting like your own actual personal feelings uh, about the situation aside, like if you're a coach at a school like that, you need to really sell getting players from California and Hawaii in some cases where he was before this and other areas to come up to Pullman, which is basically in Idaho um, for all intents and purposes. It's not in Seattle. Uh, it's not in a big city um, to, you know, come to a really distant place where not a lot of football players are from um, to play there and play, you know, a pretty tough schedule, uh, a place that outside of Mike Leach hasn't had a ton of success recently. Um, so to do anything that makes you look like you are anti-player and to do it basically right off the bat in your tenure where you're doing it to players who you didn't recruit, uh, it just seems like a, a miscalculation 
just just in terms of like pure purely for his own success like you know putting aside own personal feelings about it and what's right and wrong like you need to win over players and and not come across as an anti-player coach to win at a place like Washington State. If, if Nick Saban wanted to do something like this, and he's, I think, too savvy to do something like this, I think he's done mostly the right things in this uh, regard over the last couple of years at least, um, he could get away with it because it's Nick Saban. Nick Rolovich, as much as we liked what he did at Hawaii, does not have nearly that kind of pull. And then returning to Washington State is its own challenges. So I, I just think that was a misstep in general. And then... I just like the wrong thing to do, um, especially because like this conversation hasn't really been had yet. We've seen the, you know, the demands come out. Obviously, they shot really, really high with them. They're not, you know, some of the parts are just not really feasible in terms of like what you can do with an endowment. Like, but I don't blame them for for going after it and raising the points. I think they actually made really interesting, compelling points in terms of uh, player compensation. When like, if you're listening to this podcast, we talk about it enough. Um, it's not like a mystery where the money goes in college football facilities are overhauled every, I mean, at some of the big schools, like every five, six years, they're getting new, basically new facilities. Coaching salaries have gotten crazily inflated. Um, if you look at like the buyout numbers of some of these coaches, they're just huge and schools pay them pretty unwittingly all the time. So like there's plenty of money out there. It's being used on pretty frivolous stuff overall. Um, and then it's being used on salaries for executives and coaches and like, that's stuff that doesn't need to keep on going up. Um, you can reallocate it and get it to players. It's going to be hard to get people to do that. But I think the most interesting thing is, like, if Washington State, if if there are enough players in that roster right now who are playing for a coach that they don't know, basically, that they've just been under for six months now, um, and they want to make a statement, like, if 50 Washington State players say we're not playing, Washington State's not going to field a team this year. so And they're going to lose millions of dollars. So they have the leverage. They just need to want to use it. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how things go. Because apparently, according to Stuart Mandel at The Athletic, um, I think like some 400 players, 400 or more players in the Pac-12 were involved, at least in like in some way with the discussions uh, that before that letter was released. That's a huge number. That's about 33 and change per team. And I'm sure it's not just all evenly you know, distributed like that. But like if 400 something players decided they weren't going to play this year, that's like, maybe you could have, you could probably still feel teams, but, and, and who knows how many are scholarships versus walk-ons, but it's going to be huge. Like we've seen what happens personally as Syracuse sense. We've seen what happens when you have um, rosters that aren't up to like what the normal FBS level is after coaching turnovers and whatnot. It gets ugly quick in terms of depth. Um, so if those players actually, you know, go through with this and it's 400 something players, or if Washington State specifically like takes a, a larger stand here based on what happened to five or so of their teammates allegedly, um, it could get really interesting. So I, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how it plays out. Yeah, I, I definitely support the players here. Obviously, from my own personal feelings about this, but realistically, like this is a long time coming, and, and, and numerous writers have taken this topic on already. You know, Sunday and and, and Monday too, uh, just around. How much this has been decades and decades in the making, and it's amazing it hasn't happened uh, to date. And I think this was kind of the perfect storm between COVID and obviously Black Lives Matter and, and, and everything else going on in this country right now and kind of a reckoning with, you know, what happens when uh, you have a, uh, a ruling majority uh, kind of get questioned a, a lot more than they have been in the past and, and, and taken a task on things a little bit more. 
And, and I think that's how you end up with something like this. And, and like you said, I don't think they're going to get everything and who knows how much they'll be able to get at all, but bringing all this together and, and putting it together in, in, in a, in a cogent and, and, and well-versed way, I, I think is going to move the ball forward uh, to some extent. Uh, Pac-12 just kind of has to hope that, you know, it doesn't completely lampoon uh, their, their league and it very well could. Um, and really I, at the same time, I think if it did, it's, it's kind of deserved. Um, and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if other leagues don't have similar organizations, um, you know, of, of the players on the field, obviously the PAC 12 and just, uh, the West coast in general is a much more likely place for it, um, than the other parts of the country, uh, that said, you know, things change, things happen and the NFL starts and it seems like they are starts moving away from some of the, you know, meathead, don't talk about politics, don't talk about race, don't talk about whatever uh, mentality and scouts and, and coaches start realizing that these are their people and, and these are people with, with hopes and ideals and dreams and, and, and things that matter to them besides football as well. Um, then I think, you know, then something like this starts to gain some steam too. And I think, again, you're starting to see that. I don't know if the NFL's far enough along that players will potentially risk um, their, their, their pro prospects, but I think that we're, we're getting closer to the, the tipping point now. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Like I think at some point you just have some kind of like self-preservation. And if this doesn't work for the Pac-12 players this year, I think it's just the next step in something that was started, obviously you, not just, you know, in the last decade, but you go back to the Syracuse eight with us locally, you go back to the Wyoming players who took a similar stand in the 1970s and then all the way through the Northwestern unionization efforts, which obviously were not successful, but it's just pull it, pushing things forward. And it, even if, even if they don't end up um, really following through or they get like a, a fraction of what they're asking for, however it plays out. Um, I do think it's just another step in the direction. Like we know where things are going. It's going, eventually players are going to be paid, whether it's through uh, name image likeness or whether it's actually through the schools. I'm honestly like not even particularly worried with the process. Um, and I think you could argue those and they're good arguments to have, but like, we know things are going there in the next couple of years. It's pretty much, um, I mean, every indication is, and the leads have admitted it tacitly as much, uh, pretty clearly. Um, now they're scrambling for protections on it and whatnot. Um, but I think that like, there's enough self-preservation with these leagues and with these commissioners and whatnot that like, at some level they're, they'll want to get out ahead of it. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if it's this year with this, because this is a real risk. Like they obviously are, dying to have football happen they're trying to do it in this pandemic it's complete it's probably a bad idea if we're all honest with ourselves um and like it's pretty much the perfect time for the players to, to kind of throw down a, a gauntlet like this because there is so much on the line for them and and nothing's really laid bare the concerns quite like uh the pandemic it's it's just i think a real opportune moment and um you know i'm hoping that they uh that they don't just lay down and, and get stared about like whatever's happened at Washington state. Cause they, again, that's also like, that's going to come back to bite Rolovich. If that, if it played out the way the players said um, it's not going to go well for him, which is the, the point that Bomani made. Like if it doesn't happen this year, it's going to reflect poorly on him and other coaches are not going to follow that suit. So um, I think they're just, it requires a little bit of, uh, of, you know, kind of, political courage here and that's tough for college players especially ones who have nfl futures on the line but we've already seen uh panay sewell at oregon who's the best player in the league probably a top five pick kind of throw his support behind it we saw trevor lawrence at clemson retweet some of the stuff so there, there's there's a groundswell here and we'll, we'll see if it 
really comes to a head this year. But if it doesn't this year, it's going to happen at some point. And this is just the next step in that process, whether or not it's like a final step or a major step. Agreed. All right, Dan, not to, you know, diminish that, but uh, I think it's a good place to wrap up for the non-Syracuse portion. Oh, that's sorry, The Syracuse portion of things. That isn't necess- that wasn't necessarily as related to Syracuse, but I think people can easily see how something that affects larger college football conversation affects Syracuse as well. Uh, and, and it's something to just keep an eye on because obviously there's, there's numerous active, you know, former and current players, um, uh, you know, on, on the SU roster. And I'm interested to see um, kind of if we start to see something uh, come up there, obviously Dino Babers is, uh, is a, is a very good players coach. Uh, by all accounts, and I, I wouldn't necessarily expect anything uh, like what Rolovich um, has done here, but I, I'm curious to see if uh, if we see any movement on the Syracuse front at some point. Yeah, I think Dino's been pretty effective in in all this stuff. Like, I don't think he's as progressive minded in terms of these issues, but I also think he's good at keeping the team kind of together, however things are going. So I don't expect anyone to really like step out, but uh, you know, we'll see. I mean. This did this did really take on a life of its own, so it wouldn't shock me. I agree. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about beer before we move on to the uh, SEC preview in the uh, second half of things? What have uh, what have you been drinking, Dan? Um, I had some interesting stuff this week. Uh, I I broke into some more of the uh, heavy reel stuff and the tartan stuff that I bought down the shore a couple weeks ago. Um, I had an intersect from Torch and Crown, uh, the part of their IPA series. Uh, this was their the Sultana and Amarillo uh, uh, variety that they put out, um, which was really good. Um, I had uh, I stopped at Single Cut for the first time in a long time. Um, had their Kim Hibiscus Sour, which is always delicious. Um, had a Freeform Jazz Odyssey, which uh, kind of a dark uh, coconutty uh, Schwartz beer, which was really good. And then uh, I had a Vintage Stock from Boulevard, which is delicious, like a kind of a dark. Uh, great base kind of soury kind of sweet really like robust flavor uh so really enjoyed that very nice on my end i had uh some things for your head grapefruit uh hard seltzer uh it was really good i still have some more in the fridge so it'd be nice to crack back into that uh this coming weekend from uh Broward west had a west coast ipa uh bounce that was super good uh smooth like really easy drinking uh so I have more of that, thankfully, as well. And then finished off the uh, aforementioned uh, on a previous episode, uh, Highland Park Yo Coco um, Coconut Hazy IPA. So nothing too crazy. Uh, just had a few local options and kind of drank through those cans. But plenty more where that came from. Very nice. I'm going to need some this week because uh, moving houses this week, not not a fun activity. I, I would I would very much assume not at any point. I uh, the last time I moved, I kind of told myself that I, I don't want to do this at all anytime soon, uh, just because of the you know just general hassle that uh, that it entails. I haven't done it in the city, which is good um, because I, I just never enjoy uh, just even the idea, um, which is shocking. I've been in the same apartment for six years, which is like unheard of, but. Uh, yeah, this is this will be it'll be a whole thing, but you know, hopefully the rain stops in the next couple of days and it won't be that bad. Fingers crossed for you. Yeah, I uh, I moved I moved to Santa Monica, and then three years later I moved to Redondo Beach, and I've been down here now for five years. But in San Francisco, I moved three times in two and a half years. 
and it was it was like worse and worse every time for some reason and that and, and i even moved within like a four block stretch of each apartment was within a four block stretch of the next one and it was still just like this miserable miserable process yes so uh hopefully i won't take it out on people on twitter or anything so it's been, <laughs> nice, been nice to me this week fingers crossed for you dan <laughs> all right so take a few minutes to talk about the sec at least um obviously the schedule not what it's printed as right now uh so we're just gonna have to base things on talent uh for the time being yeah i guess we don't really even know the full they haven't announced the uh they're doing a 10 team so they're doing two crossover uh i guess it's probably just one addition because i assume they're gonna keep the scheduled crossover but who knows the acc changed things up so much yeah i mean the acc had the additional wrinkle of notre dame right and, yeah. and, and a lack of divisions i think there's at least enough coherence between sec east schools and sec west schools respectively to probably keep the schedule as is and then they just also said they were gonna do it they also said they were going to do it like they're going to somehow try to weigh in strength of schedule, um, which means we'll get to find out uh, how the internal SEC machinations rank these teams, maybe, which would be funny. Um, but, the, you know, whose desk is to, or anyone's desk is to how that'll work out. Um, but yeah, so the, they're playing 10 games. Um, they basically like kind of okie doke to the ACC because the ACC clearly thought they were going to be in lockstep and schedule with the plus one because uh, there's no other reason why the ACC did that. Um, and this, he's like, nope, this, we're just in a playoffs. So, uh, sorry, Clemson, South Carolina and Florida, Florida state. Although I will say a bunch of the stories came out after and seemed to indicate that it might've been the ACC that duped the SEC in that they heard a rumor that they were going to go 10 games. And then the ACC figured if they announced 10 plus one beforehand, that they wouldn't get dragged while the SEC would get dragged by fans in the South for, uh, uh, for avoiding those games. That's interesting because I know the Clemson, you know, there might be something to that because I know the Clemson president was pretty outspoken about how like they were, they in South Carolina were planning to play this year and South right. Carolina didn't really say anything. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the SEC is ducking the ACC. That's just what it is. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't think you can really make another case for that. It's just very uh, obvious. It's very obvious to everyone <laughs> who watches the sport. That's what's happening. SEC ain't played nobody. Um, <laughs> Literally this year. so dan there there, there's clearly i think there's clearly four really good programs in this conference um who are like head and shoulders above everybody else and i think it's been the same few programs for the last several years um those programs being florida and georgia in the east alabama and lsu in the west um do you i guess first and foremost do you think that another team should be added to that list no, I know there's a lot of uh, – it, it's just I need to see it first. Um, I know there's a lot of, like, Texas A&M hype this year. Um, they just haven't – they've been decent. Um, but I haven't seen much from them in terms of under Fisher where it just seems like they're ready to take that leap. I know I know Kellen Mond is one of the more uh, proven quarterbacks in the league, and, and they have some talent. Um, he's recruited well there. But it just doesn't seem like they've done anything to, like, really take that next step where I'm, like, trusting them to – uh, really compete with Alabama and LSU. Um, I think, you know, best case, maybe they're on the same tier as LSU because LSU loses so much from the national championship team. But um, I'd even be surprised by that. So I think I think that the clear one and twos in, in each division kind of stand apart um, ahead of, like, the Tennessees in the East who obviously had a really nice back end of the season last year or the, the A&Ms or Auburns in the West. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I think realistically, like, 
I know I made that separation of like two in the East, two in the West. I think you could you could expand it if you wanted to to a top three that I think are far enough away from everybody else that I'd be surprised if anybody, assuming the divisions stay intact um, and, and the schedules are relatively balanced, um, I, I'd be surprised if anybody. But you know, Bama, LSU, A and M in some order in the West, and Florida, Georgia, Tennessee in, in the East. I feel like that's probably um, the top of those divisions just based on you know, returning talent, just annual recruiting abilities. Auburn's kind of the wild card in there. Kentucky could get lucky, but realistically, um, I, I think that the SEC, and this has been going on for years, I think it's starting to like separate a little bit. Um, and this is like the thing that the that the ACC really could use a little bit more of, even if it's at the uh, the harm of Syracuse, I guess, is that like separation of, okay, like these five or six teams are, are contenders to be top 25 every year um, and contenders to win a division and maybe do more than that. Yeah, I do think Auburn is like the kind of hinge team, as they are so often. Um, obviously, they Justin Malzahn keeps on hanging on. Um, I think this year, uh, because if I'm just like prognosticating how Auburn generally works, um, because it'll be very hard to fire Dust Malzahn this year, I think Auburn's going to be bad. And that's the only reason I'm saying that. Um, Otherwise, I think I'd be kind of bullish on them because Bo Nix, um, while I wasn't as kind of like enamored by him as some other people last year, um, I do expect he will take a step forward. The Chad Morris hire, I think, is a very good one at offensive coordinator for them. And defensively, I think they'll take a step back, but probably not a huge one. But just based on on Auburn, like they're probably going to do like 500 this year just because Malzahn only wins when he needs to. This is very true. Uh, Guess Malzahn is, is is one of the the warlocks of of college he's, football. He's he the Rasputin of college football. <laughs> he's so approached at Auburn for like twenty thirty five, and no one's gonna know how it happened when it, when he eventually steps down. I I would absolutely agree. He's gonna be one of those guys who like yeah never. He never really does enough to like be a Hall of Fame coach. But you look at his resume afterward and go, like, if you did weren't paying attention the whole time, you just say, well, why not? Yeah, it's, it's almost every season was disappointing, except for the occasional, like, where did they come from year? Um, just a super fascinating program. Um, on paper, though, they should be good. But I, I do like A&M a little bit more. But, I, I, again, I think Alabama, LSU, just a step above. Um, and even, like, LSU, I think it just so much hinges on Miles Brennan. Um Replacing Joe Burrow is going to be really tough. I think just trying to sit, or making what happened last year offensively happen again is going to be really tough. Um, who knows what happens with replacing Joe Brady? Um, I think, you know, obviously they had a, a good groundwork laid for last year to happen, but it, it was kind of like a special, uh, you know, they had a really special chemistry come together last year that might be hard to replicate. And Miles Brennan's pretty untested. I know he was a four star recruit. Um, they still have some really big time weapons. Jamar Chase, I think, is one of the best, maybe the best receiver in college football. But um, they're going to be fascinating. I think they're they're one of the more interesting uh, reigning national championship teams because I think you could kind of see a whole range of things to happen to them. Like I don't think they'll be bad by any means, but I could see like kind of a disappointing drop back season, or I could see like, oh wow, they're just like still rolling. Like I could see either one um, happening pretty realistically. Yeah, I mean the top of the depth chart for LSU on both sides of the ball is like. Very, very good. Maybe may, may great, but I think beyond those guys, like you do start to have some questions. It doesn't mean that they're going to go six and six. It means that they're probably, their floor is probably nine and three. But realistically, yeah, like be, be, I, I think at the top of the depth chart, they're still very strong, but they lost so much at the top from the top of the depth chart from last year 
that, that that's where the questions creep in um, to your point. So I, I still think LSU is probably a top 10 team, but I, I do buy Alabama more in the West, at least right now. Yeah. I think, I think this is like the SEC in, in general is just very interesting because you do have a decent amount of returning quarterback uh, depth in turn. Um, you know, you have Mond, you have Knicks, um, Alabama and LSU though have brand new guys. Um, Alabama has a really fascinating quarterback battle. Matt Jones, I think looked pretty good um, coming in for Tua last year. Um, but Bryce Young is, is you know, the top recruit in the country. Um, and Nick Saban's been pretty uh, open to playing those kind of players in recent years. Like when he went with Jalen Hurts, that was not an obvious move. When he subbed in Tua in that championship game, that was a very much not an obvious move. Um, he's been, he's really loose in the reins versus like where he used to just kind of play the the most standard um, kind of, you know, game manager type player who would just let the the talent around him win. Um, Saban's really opened it up. I think basically since Lane Kiffin got there, I think that actually was really good for him. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me to see Bryce Young start as a true freshman. Um, but in any case, like, I think either one is going to be good enough to win. I think Matt Jones, you know, if he's not Tua, I think he, he could be like a top, you know, third of the conference quarterback. And that's, that's usually pretty good, uh, good enough to win at Alabama. Yeah, I completely agree. And obviously it helps, you know, when, when you're thrown to somebody like Devontae Smith um, as well. Like Jalen Waddle's back. They're just so loaded. Yeah. And like, and like on the line too, obviously, like they're, they're, they're just in such a great, they're such, in such great shape um, on both sides of the ball. Like Alabama continues to recruit, you know, top one to three somewhere in that range um, in, in the nation. So it's never really that hard to, to, to really reload. Um, you brought up quarterback play though. And I thought it was worth, you know, going over to the East a little bit. I guess, number one, do you believe in Kyle Trask after a pretty good season last year? Uh, he was efficient, threw uh, the ball downfield well. He had 25 touchdowns. Um, and then also, who wins the Georgia quarterback battle that I'm sure, like, Jamie Newman is very, very angry about at the moment? Yeah, it's um, – the, the Georgia situation is so funny because um, they clearly, like, were totally ready to ride with Newman. Um, and JT Daniels got that waiver kind of out of nowhere, which is just – really indicative of how the NCAA works. Like even the five-star big name kid who doesn't really need a waiver this year, just got one. Um, so it's a tough situation. I almost, I, I almost wonder if it's going to play both because it's, it's like a really brutal situation for Newman who thought he was just kind of stepping in. And he really should have like, gone to Oregon where Anthony yeah, ended up going. <laughs> he was expected to go to Oregon. He kind of made a surprising decision by going to Georgia, but you could see why he did it. Like Georgia's a, you know, plug and play, win now program probably a little more exposure um Oregon he would have probably had that job they wouldn't have gone after Anthony Brown he's a lot better than Anthony Brown I think you know we could pretty clearly put them head to head as you know having played in our division the last couple years um I almost wonder if like they're gonna start Newman just out of like kind of you know he was there first he was been on campus for a while now but it's hard not to play Daniels if if he's there like he's just so talented um, he looks like kind of the, he looks like the kind of quarterback that George has been recruiting, and they've been killing it in quarterback recruitment recently. Um, with Carson Beck coming in, um, uh, the Vanderdrift hit in a couple of years. Um, so I, I I almost wonder if like Newman starts and then it's Daniels by mid year. Aaron, I think you know, not to say I ever like wish anything bad for for Jamie Newman, but I do think that like this kind of exposes the fraudulence around like. And making him a train. top ten, yeah, the hype train making him a top ten pick, making him an all SEC first team quarterback, you know, all, all all this all this nonsense around him based on like 
really like one like solid season at Wake where he was like able to stay on the field and all like I don't necessarily think he put up the sort of numbers or had the sort of playmaking ability that made him that overwhelming of a player um, on offense. I thought he was good. I thought, I thought the, you know, Wake was obviously better with him in the game. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I wasn't, I wasn't floored by him uh, enough to, to suddenly vault him into a, you know, top 10 draft pick. I mean, he, he wouldn't be the first former ACC quarterback to, to, to randomly go top 10 for no reason, but still it it very much felt like the old like and i don't think it happens as much now but like early early 2000s uh early 2010s recruiting thing where like you know a kid is like unrated and then he gets a, an alabama offer and he's a four-star like two days later like that that's kind of what it felt like with jamie newman and georgia where like nice player i was really intrigued by the fit um i didn't think he was gonna go there um and then you're like oh maybe jamie newman puts together a nice year it was in, like the fourth or fifth round it's like a pretty good story for him and people are putting him as like a back end of the first round guy i'm like I mean, we have a lot of film on Jamie Newman. Like, I, I think he's maybe he probably makes an NFL team, but um, uh, it just it got very crazy very quick. And it's almost like, oh, well, if Kirby wanted him. It's like, yeah, well, Kirby Smart doesn't have like the greatest track record with quarterbacks here. Like, Jake Fromm just got his draft stock out lower every year, um, yeah. and wound up in the fifth round of the Bills and is never going to play because he's a popped on arm. But, like, it's, uh, I don't know. I thought that was very fascinating as well. Not to wish anything, I mean, I feel bad for him now. Like, and it, through no fault of his own, like, no one knew that JT Daniels was going to go there. Um, I think, you know, you could probably read the writing on the wall that he would transfer, but no one knew he was going to go there and definitely didn't know that he was going to um, get uh, the waiver to play right away. And now that's an interesting situation for everyone because Daniels is probably going to play, if it doesn't start this year, he's going to start next year. They have two five star quarterbacks, like, in the next couple classes. Um, what happens with those guys like who probably thought they would be playing right away or like maybe a redshirt year and then playing Dwan Mathis, Mathis, who was an Ohio state commit who flipped really late after the uh, tennis shenanigans of Ohio state, uh, basically telling him that they weren't recruiting Justin Fields when it was very obvious they were, um, flipped over to Georgia. Uh, he had like brain surgery, but he's a talented kid. Um, he's probably going to transfer. Yeah. Tommy DeVito. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's it, the Georgia quarterback, like the, the Georgia quarterback situation over the next like three or four years is super fascinating because it's as talent. I mean, they have probably the, the most talent rich group of guys coming up through the pipeline, but like just everything that's happened in college tells us that the, probably most of those guys will end up leaving. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how they kind of manage that dynamic. I agree. I'm going to be hopefully watching on the field as well as off the field. Um, as much as I want to talk about all the garbage teams in the bottom of the SEC, uh, we're kind of almost out of time. So instead of doing that, uh, for once we decided to talk about the best teams in the conference instead of the worst ones. <laughs> we also don't, we aren't like, we aren't enamored with any of the bad teams in the SEC. Like I have connections to South Carolina, but they're very boring this year. Yeah. Like, yeah, none of them are fun. Like there's nothing wacky about right. Vanderbilt. They just suck. Uh, yeah. They're like, they're like definitively, they should be wackier. They just need to, they need to just in, like inject their program with, kind of fun weirdness because they're a really boring bad team. Like they're a oh, run yeah. for offense to out of here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I would love them to run triple option. Do something. Yeah. Yeah. Vanny run the triple option or like just go five wide every single play. Yeah. You can't be uh you know three yards in a cloud of dust and be bad. Like you can do it if you have Alabama talent and it's not great and I'm glad they don't do that anymore. But like it worked. Well um, this is what fans in Nashville want really. Like 
and and and, and that's that's very much hating on on uh, country music. But I, 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 feel, I feel like this is what people in Nashville want. It's just, it's just, I, a, just a sturdy run game. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's time to. The, I forget who has the like. It's someone who has this theory, and I forget who it was that has coined it. But I do think there's something to it where like the the more you have going on in your area as a school, like the harder it's going to be to uh, build a great football program. Now a lot of those towns have gotten really good because of the football programs like um, athens georgia is supposed to be amazing uh as a college town but if georgia wasn't good at football i don't know that it would be um but like the 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 bigger yeah like the bigger the 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 city is outside of football like the worse the the harder it is to maintain a great college football culture what about miami and usc that i i think you could those to both uh that to both work for or against the argument um (laughs) I think it's almost like for them, it, it if the football team is good, it kind of contributes to it. But we've seen like the cities of Miami and Los Angeles aren't exactly hurting because of uh, the lack of winning at uh, USC and Miami and UCLA, I guess, if they count, which they don't really. So, yeah, no, I, I always think that's an interesting one. And Nashville definitely fits in there because like I have not been, but uh, I've heard there's plenty to do there. Uh, if, even if Vanderbilt's going three and nine every year. Fun town, I will say that. I mean, I'm not a big honky tonk and uh, country music fan in general, but you you could find outposts that don't revolve around country music. Actually, the more the closer you get to Vandy, the more you're going to find like a lot of good random alt rock bands and like four dollar beer bars. Oh, I I like a lot of stuff coming out of Nashville. It's it's just kind of one of those places that I've like had some some like floating opportunities to go a couple times and just haven't gotten there yet, but. You know, I will eventually. Uh, you know, once the pandemic ends, I'll just yeah. start. The, the, the Music City Bowl trip we eventually get. Oh, I'm, I'm if we go to the Music City Bowl at some point and they're letting fans in, I'm I'm going. There's just no doubt in my mind. I mean, I might go. I, it's it's not like I don't want to. Just for the whole children thing. Yeah, I mean, you have you have excuses. I don't. <laughs> A few terrorizing excuses. Uh, but anyway, while we're wrapping up here, Dan, assuming that we just end up with two divisions. Two division champions and a uh, and a kind of championship game. Who uh, who are your picks? I am going with the super interesting matchup of Alabama versus Georgia. <laughs> Man, um, it's fair. Yeah, no, it's fair. Like a lot of people are going Florida. Um, I think they trust Trask a little bit more. I think Georgia's a little more talented. And like Florida, I just I need to see them get over the hump. Um, they haven't been particularly close uh, to like really competing for the SEC East in recent years. Um, I think Mullen will do it. He's a dead coach, but I need to see it first. Um, I just think Alabama just has a little bit more coming back than LSU um, and then a lot more than everyone else. Uh, the quarterback situation is interesting. I could see either one of those guys winning the league. Um, not that I am super aware of how good Bryce Young is, but it sounds like he's very, very good. Um, yeah, so in terms of who wins, oof. I, I'm like tempted to pick Georgia, but I just know better. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go Alabama. Yeah. Uh, you know, N- Nick Saban is a woman scoring right now uh, after last season's debacle. So uh, I, I could, I could definitely see Alabama just rolling through everybody um, also, as they want to do. You're talking about an unsettled season and like where just stuff's really weird and you don't know how to handle stuff. Nick Saban's going to be the best possible person to have for this. Like, there's no one I'd rather have running my football team pretty much ever, but especially in a situation like this. You know Nick Saban has been kind of crunching stuff for months, just trying to figure out how to handle this situation better better than anyone else. So I, I completely 
comfortable taking him to, to win this conference, to win uh, the probably the national championship if, if we get one. Um, I just think you trust, like, you trust the process with Nick Saban, just, like, having things running on time, having everyone show up. I'm sure he's, like, if anyone has, like, a, a good testing protocol that'll keep the season from falling under, it's going to be Alabama, just as they need it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, like, just kind of the differentiator there. Yeah, I agree with that. I would pick Alabama to win. I'm still picking Florida. Um, it's not that I t- trust Trask, but I do trust these receivers. I do trust that defensive line um, to really own a lot of games for them. Uh, you know, even in the SEC, I think there's still just a size and speed advantage that Florida is able to possess here. Um, that's going to win them a lot of games. And and if, if they do a, a divisionally focused season plus a few, um, I like Florida against everybody – I like Florida against everybody in the East by a wide margin, except for Georgia. And I still might pick them against Georgia as well. Um, I, I think Florida could, could have been a really interesting, like 11 and one fringe playoff team uh, type squad this year, if not for uh, what's probably going to happen, which is just a simple four team event. Um, yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. I think Florida should be on paper as close as they've been since Mullen got there. Um, and whether or not they break through this year, I think they're, they're moving in the right direction. I think Mullen's done a nice job. He was just like, for all the obvious hires that like haven't worked out quite as well, like I think he's was a very obvious hire for them and has worked out pretty swimmingly. I would agree. Dan, anything else before we depart today? No, hopefully surviving this tropical storm, uh, which came in a little bit early tonight, and uh, glad we were able to fit in this uh, podcast because I was not sure I was going to have power for a full hour, but we did. Same here. I'm uh, very glad we got to talk. Uh, I'm sure we'll have fun stuff next week. We'll, uh, we'll be talking ACC, even though the season's probably still like a month out. And, and we were wondering if we should do two division shows or not, and now we don't have a choice because there are no divisions. <laughs> we're going to, after years of saying there should be no divisions, we're just going to do divisional preview shows. Can we make everyone mad and just do a Notre Dame show? Oh, <laughs> I, I, I'd hate myself for that. Oh, it'd be bad. We'd end up we'd end up talking about like UConn for like twenty minutes if we were just like <laughs> UConn who might cancel their season today or like yeah. this week. Also, I, I I'm like very tempted to buy one of the like sad uh, husky uh, home field shirts. Same, unfortunately. Um, I also it, like it's one of those things that I buy and then never justify wearing it, but like it's just so good. <laughs> I agree. Just just like I wanted to make the like. Randy Edsel, here's the set. Here's the news that his season was canceled, uh, you know, months ago, and and UConn is only now just finding out. Also, speaking on just very quickly, um, obviously Tulane had their stuff come out too, and the wave stuff is great. Also, the surfing pelican, amazing. Surfing pelican's great. I uh, I, I very much endorse surfing pelican as uh, as as our vice president to the uh, to wave the wave. Yes, hopefully we get some cool, uh, interesting auto stuff soon. Yes. Oh. Maybe. Wave Pelican 2020. Let's go. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.